and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And my very good friend Jace Hunt is on screen. Jace, how are you? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm not bad at all. I'm not bad at all. But this is our second go at the intro, isn't it? And there's a very, there's kind of a weird reason (laughs) behind this. Um, Because we were both due to speak to um, a chap called Chris Catalyst tonight, weren't we? Yes. And for those that don't know who Chris is... Um, Chris has played in a variety of bands, um, and uh, including including ones of his own. Um, and I I would have heard of you know Ugly Kid Joe and Terrorvision, and he's played with Ginger Wildheart. But then we've got Eureka Machines, haven't we? We've got Eureka Machines, which is when I first heard him. Uh, I also saw uh, him with Sisters of Mercy as well at Sonosphere Festival a long time ago. Right. Right, so we don't we we've um, neither has met Chris, uh, and as it turns out, bizarrely, I'm not going to meet him anyway. So Chris is running a little behind, and we should probably have recorded by now. And I've got to go out, <laughs> and you it's have, a belated fiftieth yes. birthday meal with my wife. So we were up against it time wise, and then Chris has been delayed. So we're kind of going to do the intro and introduce the conversation, um, but I'm not going to be part of it. No, I'm going to fly solo. You're going to fly solo, so which I feel a bit disappointed about, really, because he sounded like he was quite an amusing chap. Yeah, yeah, he, you know, well, he did a stand-up uh, comedy routine as Robo Christ um, for a while, so I was going to talk to him about that. So yeah. we shall see. And he's and he's from he's a Yorkshire lad, and he's he's based around Leeds, so he's going to be good value. <laughs> it's the Yorkshire mafia again, isn't it? Yes. yes. He's going to be he's going to be damn good value. So uh, and of course we could have talked about haunts and obviously with him having played in at least one goth style band we could have the goth conversation because Leeds is famous for its its goth uh, community that kind of comes out every couple of months, um, gives its its uh, its black outfits a bit of a a bit of a, <laughs> a, a towels around town and then disappears again. I, you know I'd be quite intrigued to know a bit more about that community. I'm sure they just go back to Whitby, don't they? Probably, actually, I've not thought about that. It probably is a Whitby connection. Ask him about the Whitby connection. All right, I will do. Uh, so, so I'm going to disappear off, which means I shall be hearing this after you've recorded it, uh, even though you're hearing my voice before it's recorded. But stick with us; it'll all make sense. Uh, and before I go, we need to also um, say another big thanks to our friends at Focus Right. Yes. Uh, who continue to sponsor us, continue to throw a little bit of money in our direction. It's enough focus, right? We're not being, we're not, it's not that we're not happy with it, but we also want our, 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 you know, our listeners to know that we're not, we're not living the life of Riley either. But thank you very much, focus, right? For everything you're doing. Fantastic gear, wonderful, great. Buy some, it's just superb. Um, you know, plaudits aren't high enough for focus, right? <laughs> stuff, are they really? No, no, I'm very happy with mine. Yes, and you were telling me about something about International Podcast Day. Yeah, uh, so Focus Right emailed me this morning and said um, International Podcast Day is the end of September and they're going to do something and would we like to be involved? So I signed us up and said, yes, we would. 
Right. So we're some kind of focus right ambassadors for International Podcast Day. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, oh, go uh... on. Let us go that far. Go on, <laughs> let let me live with it for a little while. I've ne- I've always wanted to be an ambassador. <laughs> okay. You, you in your head, you can be the ambassador. Oh, what about but... a podcast czar? Oh God. If if you would like to be a podcast czar. You can be. Um, no, I'm fairly you. certain that Focusrite might edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're probably about right. You're probably about <laughs> right. Well, look, enjoy the conversation, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to to, to hearing it back. Um, and other than that, I guess we'll we'll speak to you all very soon. All right. See you later, mate. Welcome, Chris Catalyst. Welcome to 1942, the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I was just saying before we started, um, I'm very sorry that I'm late. Um, I'd set an alarm on my phone. But then well, what I did was, I said to you that it didn't go off, but it, it totally did. What happened was, I'd left my phone upstairs while I was cooking downstairs. Uh, I'm trying to like not hang around my phone too much um, anymore and like do things like have my dinner, not with my phone in my hand. So, yeah. So, it's, but that means that then, like things like because you rely on your phone for so many things, like an alarm for doing an interview for a podcast, and um, and then when you when it's not in your hand, suddenly you find you, you're a bit useless. <laughs> well, I do. Well, I suppose the important question is, what did you cook for tea? <sighs> well, I'm on a bit of a, I'm on a bit of a diet at the moment. I'm doing um, I'm doing a lot of stuff in the gym, and I'm just trying to uh, like pay attention to what I'm eating at the moment. So what I had was. On offer. In fact, they're not on offer. They're just they're two for a fiver in Asda. It's this like salmon and rice bowl that's mm. very balanced, whatever. So uh, that's and I had I had the first one last night. I had the second one tonight. So I had the first one last night felt really virtuous. Then I got a bit stoned and ate a massive bag of crisps. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping to not do the same tonight. <laughs> were, were they the official Yorkshire crisp? These were the middle. They were the middle class um, Southern crisp. Actually, they were kettle chips, which normally I don't go for, but these were pretty good. I do like a nice kettle chip. I, I had um, this week. I, I did the family shop this week mm. um, in Aldi, and in the uh, infamous middle aisle yeah. where they've got the specials was a family size bag of pickled onion monster munch. Yes, the the dirtiest crisp. Ever, but that's what I ate today. Oh, did you eat all of them? No, <laughs> no. It's like taking just... me three days to eat the family size bag can, of them. Can, you wouldn't be able to taste anything for a week if you had if you had the whole the whole thing in one go. Um, yeah, I do love a monster munch. I'm a big I'm a big fan of the the crisp. I yeah, I I'm a big fan of the crisp. I have a friend who writes blogs on crisps. Wow, <laughs> he's a World's leading expert. Anyway, <clears throat> we're not here to talk about Chris, are we? We're here to talk about <laughs> guitars and amps and geekery and your new album, um, Kaleidoscopes. So, um, how long has it been out? About a month, is it? About, um, yeah, I think, in fact, it is. No, two months. Just shy of two months. Six weeks, something like that. How's it going? Good. Yeah, thank you. It's, it, um, you know, it's always nerve-wracking putting anything new out. And it's it's everyone seems to like it. I mean, it, as always, it could do with a few more sales. Um, we could, we could all all always do with that a few more sales or views or hits or whatever. Um, 
but it it sort of it did what I set out to achieve with it really, which mm. was just I like music. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> well, that's handy. And I, and I um and I just kind of try to make stuff that and it's the cle it's such a cliche, but it like it is true. I try to make stuff that I think like well I really like that and that lyric would make me smile or think or what mm. you know whatever. Um. And that um, chord change would make me go, ooh. And I just think I'm not the weirdest person in the world. And there's other people that think the same way as me. So I do make it for myself. Excuse me, but but I do... Um, and that old cliche of like, if anyone else likes it, it's a bonus. Uh, but it's, you know, it's true. And um, but yeah, people have seemed to like it. And I like it. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> I, I I like it. It's in my car at the moment. I, see, I think um, it's good. I think it's good car listening. It is good car listening. I was kind of I was quite intrigued by the lyrics. There seems to be um, you seem to be trying to put like a positive mental health sort of thing out there. I don't know if that's well, for, deliberate or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for some of the tracks, it's it's certainly something that I think about a lot, and something that you know I I. Um, you know, coming from where I come from and being who I am, sort of thing. It's it it, ha, it doesn't always come easily, and it hasn't always come easily to sort of be open about that stuff. It's you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Yorkshireman. We don't talk about that stuff here, but um, but like it's starting to happen, and people are starting to mm. talk about it, and so they should because you know it's a it's this year particularly has been really tough for a lot of people, uh, myself included, and you go well. It's easier to get through it if we share that and just go, hey, I'm like feeling this weird thing. And then someone else goes, yeah, me too. And it's like, oh, that's not, well, not nice, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like nice that we can talk about it. And like yeah, yeah. maybe it's nice to know that you're not the only person that's kind of worried or anxious or sad or like feels like they haven't got much purpose or, or whatever, you know? Um, I think this, this last 12 months has definitely amplified whatever you were feeling. Anyway, yeah, I yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, it, it's uh, you know, I mean, myself like you have, have you know, I've lost my main income mm. source, um, and it has been really, really odd. And there's been days where I've kind of felt a bit like, what am I supposed to be doing today? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I should be, um, in the same way that I would imagine. You know, with lots of touring, that at nine o'clock at night, your kind of body starts going right. Stage time, blah blah blah. Yeah. For me, because it, it's not a, a nightly thing running my event; it's an annual thing. Mm. You know, I hit February, and my event is usually the last weekend of Feb. And February is just—it's a nightmare in terms of working hours. It's kind of like twelve-hour days. Yeah. You know, every day sort of thing. And, and I just felt a bit sort of lost and empty during that time frame it was really odd mm. yeah um, it's, that's the thing that i've like tried to when i've talked about it with a lot of my friends are musicians a lot of my friends are in touring bands and mm. and uh and, and also crew people that um tour and and a lot of my friends aren't a lot of my friends are nurses and uh writers and working bars and surveyors and all sorts of stuff mm. um so it it was like trying to like keep in touch with mates from touring 
or mates who just who I haven't toured with, but I but I know a tour. We were, we all sort of said the same thing. The thing was the the rug was pulled, and although actually, and I'm no fan of this government, that they they did um, help out a lot of self-employed people like myself with the um, self-employed income support scheme. Um, so on a financial level, it was you know things were doable, but like nothing to do with money like just not having not feeling like you've got much of a purpose is mm. is really hard and um it's that's the that was the hardest thing really and and yeah. like i'm a i'm busy i like being busy my feet don't touch the ground and um and i had planned to have some time off last year but yeah like not that much um <laughs> so yeah it was it was hard it was hard for everyone in lots of lots of different ways you know my girlfriend's a nurse um, she was working on COVID wards. That was hard, you know? Yeah. If And I said all along, you know, it, it sucked not being able to tour. It sucked um, not being able to go to gigs or go for a pint or whatever. But um, if if my job throughout this unprecedented global situation is to sit on my ass on the sofa, then, like, I can do that. But um, you didn't just do that, though, did you? Because you did all of those sort of, like, online gigs and stuff. Yeah, I mean... Sitting, on, my... sitting on your ass on the sofa playing the guitar, but... Well, yeah, still... it's drinking beer. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, I mean, which was which was really good fun and really gratifying. And again, it gave me, like, a, a bit of a fucking reason and a bit of a... Um, a bit of a... Yeah, like, a bit of a purpose. And it was, mm. you know, it it was... It was good fun. It gave me a reason to like sit and learn a load of songs that I'd kind of always wanted to learn, and um, and it kept me playing, and it kept me sort of being able to interact with a kind of an audience, and it was and it was like a, just a connection. Like I, I thrive for that connection that you get from gigs, whether that's playing to fifty people in a um, you know in a cloakroom, or like a hundred thousand people in a stadium, and. Um, and so it was nice to be able to do that, you know. That was it was good, and you know, and we raised some money for charity for charity. But I don't like <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> so I uh, we should talk about the new album because the first track um, with your new friend Neil Gaiman. Because I, I I have the book here. I've had this book for years. I think oh, amazing! It's, a, it's an amazing speech. Make good art. Mm. Um. So how on earth do you end up, did you kind of just do it and send it to him? I know he's quite sort of like easily accessible on social media and stuff. How that came about was I had, I had this idea for that song for ages, for years. And I wanted it to have like a, a, vo- a voiceover kind of a thing. Mm. And my initial idea was, and I had the arrangement and the tune and like where it was going to go and the minor bit and the major bit. Um, and I, I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be great to have, like, a post-apocalyptic kind of, you know, it's, it's about war and it's about um, all, you know, the bad things in the world, inequality, um, famine, fucking disease. And um, I thought this would be, like, a really good kind of gritty, like, entrance to the album. And then um, I tried a few things. Now, when did I do it? I think I think it was... Yeah, the the whole pandemic thing would have started by then. I tried mm. a few things, and I'd got you know some speeches off the internet, off YouTube, and and like radio stuff, and War of the Worlds kind of stuff. Yeah, and it just felt. 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm generally a, a pretty glass half full guy, especially these mm. days, and um, and I just thought there's enough there's enough negativity and and misery in the world. I was like, let's do something that's a bit more positive. And I'd seen the make good art thing at some point in my life. And I just came across it while I was looking for something to put put on. So I I illegally downloaded it, <laughs> and um, and uh, and I started setting it to the music. It was like, fuck, this fits so well. This is great. This is so much better than the original idea I had. And I was like, and I sat and like, I I'm one of those people that like obsesses over things. So I, like, once I started doing it, I just had my head down for like five hours just cutting it apart i used to work in radio and make adverts so we used to spend loads of time like getting the timing right and cutting stuff and uh and um and after about after about four hours or something i was like shit i need to find out if i am allowed to do this because like i don't mind i don't mind breaking the odd rules chinning the odd copper um (laughs) that's a, a line from the office um i don't mind you know i don't mind breaking rules or whatever like here and there and i'm a little diy guy and no one's probably going to hear it but i just thought this is this is the sort of thing that actually people could really get into Mm. so i just um the first thing i tried was i sent him a message on twitter going hi neil um i'm I'm a diy musician from leeds can i use the make good art thing for this track i'm doing uh and and he to my immense surprise after about five minutes he replied going and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and then when it was done, I sent him it through um, his assistant, who, you know, her email address, you can get it on, I think, on his website. Mm. And and he got back to me and was like, I think I think he said it was fabulous. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, and, he, you know, and he retweeted it. He was very supportive. And, and um, yeah, so I was, I was really chuffed with that. I was really chuffed. Nice I, I think he's a he is a really nice fella. I, I, you know, I've been watching his Twitter feed this week because uh, his Netflix have announced the Sandman comics. Has, oh yeah, has gone yeah. into production and and basically he gives zero fucks what anybody thinks about the casting yeah. and stuff like that. You know, so fair play to him. <laughs> so um, the album then was recorded with Dave Draper. Yeah, who's who's a bit of a local legend around here because I'm Worcestershire. Okay, did, did you re- did you record it? At his studio. Well, we did, you know, because of the way that things are nowadays, especially with like the pandemic and that. It was like, you know, I've got a reasonable sort of home studio set up that's really good for certain things and kind of lacking for others. You know, I was only mm. saying yesterday, uh, you can't really record drums in a back-to-back terrace. No. Um, so I basically. Um, I sat and recorded recorded the drums on this. <laughs> right, okay. Which is a, a Yamaha PSR 300. And... Um... and put, so I put the drums down to a click. And then we just replaced everything. And, and then I recorded all the other stuff. And then we just went into the studio in Pershaw. No, not in Pershaw. We did some of it in Pershaw. We did um, Eversham. We did well. We did the drums at FFG in Eversham, or is that in Pershore? I, I can't remember. Um, with Jace Bold, who is from your neck of the woods as well. I used to work with Jason. No way. Yeah, 
So we both used to teach at BIM Bristol. Okay, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm I teach um unsurprisingly event management. Mm-hmm. And and Jason obviously does drums. And um I, you have to forgive me. I can't remember what the professional musicianship students do, but they all do this same track. So the vocal students are all doing vocals, guitarists are all doing the guitars for it and drums are all doing the drums and they, and then they all they all get put into sort of like teams and they all perform that one track. Right. And Jason's Jason's drum class was above me. <laughs> and every other kid in the class has got an electronic drum kit. Jason's got a full acoustic kit and I'm trying to talk, I don't know, you know, how to write a risk assessment for an event or something. <laughs> and I've got him above me just battering the shit out of a kit. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's not a he's not a tickler either. He likes to no, eat. brilliant. Yeah, nice chap is Jason, and just a ridiculous drummer, like yeah. ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so he he we did. I did a lot of the stuff at home, and then he came in and put the real drums down, um, and then that meant that a few like a lot of the stuff I needed to redo because it was like okay, that's not going to fit. That's not going to be sonically right. That's not good. Mm. Blah blah blah. And then, and then I so I did that at home, and then came back to Dave's new studio at the old Cider Press, which is um, now what's it called? Crick, Creek, Creek. Don't know. Something, something I, like that. His, his last studio was in Worcester, I think. His last but... studio was in Pershaw on the industrial estate. Um, this it, uh, right, I'm, I've got it here. Ah. <laughs> uh, the old cider press, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look at Worcestershire, but yeah, it's it's a really nice little studio that he's got. It's um, there's a really nice cafe nearby as well that does a good always poached egg. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we did do it with Dave, and then me and him uh, mixed and produced it. Um, he's very good with certain, Well, he's very good with all things. Um, mm. And I've I've got a good idea of what I want it to sound like, but I, I haven't always got like the scientific knowledge. Yeah. That like I need like a Dave or like Andy Hawkins who I used to work with in Leeds. Oh well, I'm sure I still will again. Like it's that kind of scientific knowledge about frequencies. And also being able to go, This needs compressing in this way. And I'm like, it needs compressing, but I I don't know how to and I could I could sit and do it and get an okay version and it'd take me quarter of an hour or 10 minutes or something. but they can just go da, 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 da. yep there you go and i'm like okay, yeah you know uh so yeah dave's dave's fantastic and we got a really good kind of workflow going really nice studio like i say um and the whole the whole thing putting it all together was very inspiring uh and just made me want to do it again straight away so like i'm writing for the next one now oh, i'm gonna cool. try and get done before the end of the year oh wow so, what's happened to Eureka Machines? We're still Eureka Machines still going. Um, I don't think Eureka Machines is one of those weird bands that I don't think we'll ever split up because we're just like we're just pals. The problem mm. that we have, and it's a nice problem to have, is that just everyone's so busy. Um, you know, the the other lads all have sort of you know day jobs. Two of the lads have got kids, uh, young kids, and just. I mean, since we came out of the whole lockdown scenario, 
the four of, four of us have been trying to arrange to go for a pint since like two weeks before the lockdown finished. Right, okay, pubs are opening. When are we going to go for a pint? And there hasn't been a single night that all four of us are free. And so it's like we're fucked for like doing a tour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's called everyone's... Welcome to Middle Age. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, I welcome it. I like Middle Age. Um, but it, it just makes things difficult. And, and at the end of the day, with no um, disrespect or malice intended to anyone, this is my day job and I've, I've, I've got to make a living. And yes, I can mm. go off and do this and that and the other with, with other people, but... When I'm not doing that, and I need to be doing my own stuff of some sort, and and to be kind of, what's the word? Not brutal, but like to be. I've, I just need. I need to go out and do it. And so if 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 they're not free, I, I can't sort of sit back and wait for something else. You know, wait for them to become free. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, and you know they're cool with that, and we'll still. We did a tour actually where Dave, our guitarist, his wife was about to give birth, and it was uh, it was a tour with the Wild Hearts, and um, Dave realised we sort of had to do it, and so we got uh, another mate of ours in to do the tour because he couldn't do it, and our friend Mike came and did it. He's brilliant and a really great lad, and he did a fantastic job. But it just sort of made us realise that what we like about doing our band is doing it our way. And we sort of said, mm. right, we won't do that again. And like I said, it's nothing against Mike. It was just, that's sort of what we do and who we are. And and to do do anything else would feel a bit inauthentic somehow. Yeah, fair enough. I think I saw you on that tour at uh, oh, Leicester, I think. Leicester Uni? Yeah, it? we did We did uh, Leicester de Montfort Hall. Um, yes, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, it was a good gig. They were all yeah. great gigs, those. Really great gigs. Ah, cool. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I was having a look, and whilst I was aware of some of the projects that you've been involved in in the past, I'd seen you with the Sisters of Mercy at Sonosphere. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in a huge marquee. Mm. Well, I say I saw you. I saw bits <laughs> of you through a, you know, bank a of smoke. Of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you've also um, you played with Ginger, didn't you? Were you on the was it the five 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 album? Were you yeah, on I've that done, one? I've done a lot of stuff with Ginger. We, I think the first thing I did with Ginger was um, an album called Market Harbour, where I oh, yeah. I was yeah. doing some uh, a lot of sort of programming and sort of keyboardy type stuff, and a bit of like backing vocals and stuff like that, and. Um, Oh I, I, well, actually, before that, I would, I'd done some backing vocals on the album before that, Yoni, um, and we just sort of always kept in touch. And um, yeah, when he was when he wanted to do the whole five 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 thing, he got in touch, and I was part of the sort of I don't know if committee is the right word, but part of the the group um, mm. for for quite a lot of that in the end, um, and we fell in this like just in a really good groove where um, me and uh, John Poole, his, his bass player at the time, worked really well together and Denzel, the drummer. We, and we, we just had a really good um, symbiosis and a good shorthand. And we all, like me and John knew straight away which backing vocals we were going to do, like which one he would do and which one I would do. And, and like, we just, mm. it was just, it was a good, it was a good setup that. It was a really good setup. And working with Ginger was great. You know, it's very, um, it was a big learning curve for me um 
in terms of songwriting and playing you know a, a lot of that stuff mm. was a lot of the 555 stuff was pretty out there um and involved it had some pretty involved playing and parts and and stuff which is great because the sisters with no disrespect to anybody did not <laughs> <laughs> the sisters um what was it my mate a friend my mido used to call us the sisters of bar chords <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, I do remember that. I, I also remember that you were playing, and I don't know, forgive me, it was either an Iceman or a PS10. I don't know which one uh, of it, those models it is. It was, It was. Um, let me think. Um, at that time, it was, it was an IC400, which was, so I don't think it's like officially, I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what the etymology is really, but um, it was an, an IC400 that I'd modified and put the, scratch plate on and the tailpiece and the little headstock thing um, to make it more like a PS10 because I couldn't afford a PS10. Ah, so it is a Paul Stanley thing. Because oh, I was no, Well, this is the thing, not really. I don't like Kiss particularly. I just no. love that guitar. Get off my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate them. <laughs> it, just, it just, like I like that um, live album. But that's about it. Alive. Well, it was Alive Two. I liked. Alive Two. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember that. I remember hearing that when I was about fourteen and being like, when I was getting into rock and roll and metal and and whatever, and being like, ooh, this is cool. You see, because I, I, because of um, the intro to Popstar, which is Love Gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were a Kiss fan. No, the guitar, the intro. No, I, th- I think. Um, well, it's you know, better let them, better let them, better let them. It's also like, what's that Metallica song? Oh, um, yes. You know, again, another band that I'm not especially a fan of. I mean, you can't not respect Metallica, but um, not something that I would put on at home particularly. Mm. Um, but yeah, Kiss. Like the the reason that I like the Iceman, um, the first time I. S- well, no, I did. Obviously, I saw Paul Stanley with one, but the first time I saw one, I remember seeing uh, Tim Smith out of Cardiacs with one. Funny enough, that Ginger had given him, and I just mm. I loved the um, two things about it. It it was for a start, it was the juxtaposition of Tim Smith, who at the time would have been mid forties. He was a bit overweight and wearing this big long coat, and he was playing in this like mad. You know, I don't know if do you know Cardiacs yeah, at all. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourite bands. And then he was playing this like ridiculous guitar. And I just thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. Um, but I've always really liked guitars and like stuff in general. Cars, um, jukeboxes, uh, novelty lighters. Anything that looks like it was designed by someone in the past trying to make something what their view of the future is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I call it, like, I always call, like, stuff like that, I call them, I call them Jetsons guitars. Because I'm like, when you watch Jetsons, it's like, like, cartoonist, Hanna-Barbera, or whoever it was in 1959 or 1963, doing this cartoon. This is what its life's going to be like in 2021. And, and like, you know, and, and obviously it's not like that with the flying cars and the, you know... Uh, meal in a pill stuff, but like the 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 Ibanez Iceman felt to me like that's that like that's what it was. Mm. Um, like a lot of like the Mosra. To me, 
like the Mosrite stuff is a similar kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's definitely. I mean, the Mosrite stuff is definitely a very futuristic kind of look at the guitar. Mm. But for what is actually a really simple, yeah, instrument, you know. But you know, and they they kind of uh, they're, they're quite unique. I mean, I've played one because of Johnny Ramone yeah. and hated it, but. <laughs> But you've got to try them because of Johnny Ramone, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it looks as cool as hell with it down by his knees. I know, exactly. And and this is the thing. Like, I'm not sure that, like, a bald, scruffy northerner with um, uh, whose BMI is probably slightly higher than Johnny Ramone's uh, <laughs> would look quite as cool with a Mosrite, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, Andrew from the Sisters went through a phase of buying. Oh, what they're called? They're, they're like Mosrites, but they are. Whoa, uh, no, no, what the? F- I'm, I'm just. I've got to look it up. Um, but the Eastwood. Eastwood. That's right. He he went through a phase of buying a bunch of those. Um, and they're cool. I like them. I don't think they're as cool as the Mosrites, but no. So, so you're not in the sisters anymore, are you? you... No one ever really leaves the sisters. Oh, right. <laughs> the, the full story was um, he wanted to do a tour at a time that I I couldn't do it. I had other commitments, mm. and um, so I said I can't I can't do that particular month, but I could do this particular month or this other particular month or mm. this other particular, month. and. Um, and it wasn't as if like he's on a release schedule or anything. Um, but he just decided that, it, no, it had to be at that time. Uh, and, and it stuck in my craw a bit because I was like, well, um, you know, after 15 years of playing for him or 14 years or whatever it was um, at that time, you didn't want to go, oh, OK, well, I'll wait until, you know, my band is ready, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, but you know, like I'm, I'm over it. Like he's, like he's doing what he's got to do. Initially, it was like, uh, let's get a Depp in, and Ben, the other, the lead guitarist, had a mate uh, called Dylan, who we knew. Well, he knew. I've met once or twice, um, and so he would come in, and then it seemed to work pretty well. So they've stuck with that, and no bridges burned. Uh, I, I said to Andrew, the thing is, like I was. It was kind of amazing that in 15 years that had never happened before. Like, shit, I can't do this gig. Whether whether it was because I've got another thing on or because it's my brother's wedding, not that I've got a brother, um, or whatever, you know, it it, it just never come up. And I said to him, the the nature of what you're doing, where he likes to do some years, you know, three gigs a year, you can't expect everyone else to sit around waiting for you. Um, you know the the money's the money's good. We get we got paid by gig, and the money's good. Yeah. It's, it's nothing against that. Um, but you know, like I can't live off that. Um, and uh, and even if even if I had a million quid in the bank, I couldn't live like that because <laughs> I like being busy. I like doing stuff. So I, I just said to him, I just refused to burn bridges. And um, mm. as much as he tried, <laughs> and I was just like, I, I was just like, you know, at some point. Next year, um, 
Dylan's going to ha- be busy for one weekend and you're going to have to ring me up and say, can you come and do this? And I'm going to go, yeah, all right, if I can. Or Ben's going to be busy and so I'll come and do Ben's job or Dylan will do Ben's job and I'll do his... Or or something else, you know. Um, rather than, you know, it's not 1984. We don't need to fall out and have stupid rows about it. Um, and so I'm pleased to say it all worked out pretty well for everyone. How do you get a gig in the sisters? I mean, as a self-described scruffy northerner, um, how do you end up playing? Oh, I used to be very good looking. I used to be Uh, very, very. No, I didn't really. Um, Well, I'll tell you what happened. I had this project. Project that's making it sound a bit grander than it was. I used to do this thing called Robo Christ, where it was just Mm. me and a and an Ibanez Iceman and a, a, a bunch of pro, like programmed drums and loops and stuff that I'd put together that was kind of like like thrash metal meets techno and <laughs> and it was very silly and like funny and um around that time Chris Starlin uh God rest his soul had left the band or had been kicked out of the band or something and Andrew needed a guitarist and he asked around a few mates in Leeds and like three of them said, you got to go see this guy, Robo Christ. Like he's fucking, he's the guy. Um, so it, he, he came to see us and it was in this social club in Woodhouse, the Woodhouse Liberal Club. Um, I was doing this gig and um, they came up to me afterwards and basically were like, do you want to do a tour? And I was like, what band is it? He said, Sisters of Mercy. And I was like, all right, okay. He was like, do you know us? And I said, well, I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of rock music, so I know I know the hits, but like, I don't, not really. And he was like, you know, it's, it's always like a weird question that, because it's like, what, how do you, how do you answer that? Yeah. Like, do I say, yeah, I'm a big fan? Or do I say, nah, never heard you? <laughs> what I always tend to do is just tell the truth. So I, I, I was just like, yeah, you know, I know this corrosion, uh, you know. Um, and um, and he said, good, because I, I don't want anyone that comes in with like preconceived ideas of the band. And so something that's very important to me, I, I, I believe in a band being a band, you know, being a group, being like a yeah. symbiosis, you know. Um, I've never wanted to be a session musician or, or anything like that. I, I want to be, I don't mind helping mates, mates bands out here and there and stuff, but like, I don't want to like clock in and clock out. So I was like, come on, let's have a pint and um and a chat. And they were like, Yeah, definitely. So we went into the other room in this um uh in Woodhouse Liberal Club. And in so it was one of those like old social clubs that one room had been sort of turned into a gig room for the modern young upstarts. And the other room was like still where all the people that had been going there forty years still went, you know. And and it was bingo night. <laughs> and my first night with the Sisters of Mercy, um, we we got kicked out of bingo night at the Woodhouse Liberal in about April two thousand five. And we were, so we were sat around having a chat and you know making each other laugh and talking shit and talking about guitars and talking about music. And um, and they kept telling us, "You keep bloody noise down." And um, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. And then we'd get chatting again. Right, you're gonna have to leave. <laughs> so, so we had to leave, and and thus began our our relationship. So it was it was a complete 
accident. In fact, right, okay. the gig that I was playing, um, the only reason I played that night was because um, my housemate at the time, Noah, his his band was supposed to be playing and they'd had to drop out. And he, and he was like, shit, do, do you want to play this gig? Because I don't want to like just cancel. I want to go to them and go, I can't do it, but Chris says he'll do it. So I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. So, um, so yeah, it, it came it came from that. Ah, but there was no like, yeah, yeah. There was no like, I answered. But you see, Ben's story is very different because he had his, um, he had his like uh, lead guitarist available profile on some like website like you used to do back then. It you know it wasn't MySpace, mm. but it was something like that. And then off that, Andrew had found his MySpace and. You know, I remember looking at it, and he was saying, "It looks like Robert Perlow. And I was like, "Yes, he does." And um, and then um, so we'd found him on that, and then Andrew had, had rung him, and, and Ben had been like, "All right, it sounds interesting, you know, and we've got the same sort of influences. What band is it?" And Andrew wouldn't tell him, <laughs> so he had to come up to Leeds to audition for this band. I picked him up in my old car, which was a piece of shit, and just like. I was a messy guy at the time. I'm not anymore. But like, it was like the, the back of the car was just full of like sandwich wrappers and crisps and stuff. And so we got in and went to my old flat, which was a shithole as well. And um, I did this. And it was only like halfway through that Ben realised, he was a fan of the band as well, that he realised, oh shit, it's Andrew Eldridge, you know. Um, yeah. So he came from a more sort of on paper, possibly traditional route. But yeah, how do you end up with a, in a, doing a gig like The Sisters? Blind look and ignorance. <laughs> so, so I suppose the same question really is: How, how do you end up playing with Ugly Kid Joe as well? <laughs> so, so after, so I joined the Sisters two thousand and five. We did a lot of stuff. Two thousand five, six, seven, possibly eight. I can't quite remember. And then we just didn't didn't seem to be doing as much. Uh, and I, and I fell into doing. Um, I was doing Eureka Machines, but I was also so that so that was good, and then we did a bit more with the sisters, and it and it just sort of, you know, Andrew's getting on, and he's not he's not a guy that's into getting on the bus for two months and like flying around the world to do three shows or, or whatever, and that's that's his prerogative. I I still mm. am that that guy, and maybe I won't be when I'm his age, but, uh, so off the back of that, I um I ended up. And it was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to work in a shop. Um, nothing against working in shops, but I just didn't want to do it. So I ended up guitar teching. It was like, what can I do that that I can do already and mm. fits in with the kind of lifestyle that I want to lead? And I, you know, I know my way around a guitar. I can change a set of strings and set a guitar up, and I know how to plug stuff in and what way around it's supposed to go. And I'm, you know, I'm quite conscientious when I want to be. So I started guitar teching. I was doing. I did all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, I mean, I worked for the Wild Arts. I worked for um, OMD for quite a while. I worked for Maximo Park for a long time. Really, like, great stuff. And um, and one of the tours that I did was with Ugly Kid Joe uh, and Skid Row. And, uh, and I just really hit it off with the Ugly Kid Joe guys. I was on their bus. There was two buses, the UKJ bus and the Skid Row bus. And just by luck, chance, fate, whatever, I ended up on the Ugly Kid Joe bus. And just like night one, we just hit it off. Uh, and what, I, what I, I don't think I knew when I went down to work for him, 
but they um their guitarist was this guy Sonny Mayo the rhythm well the sort of share lead and rhythm guitar yeah um and Sonny was in a band called Snot who I loved when I was 17 um I mean we all did they were like metal hardcore punk surf cali kind of like just really great like what well, I was going to say snotty kind of punk rock uh from um Sacramento I think and uh and Sonny was the guitarist in Snot and it was like fucking hell and I was teching for him uh and, and again you know like most people are just a lovely fella really great guitar player um and it was one of those where like about a week like 10 days into the tour I had to be like I've got to tell you, I'm a. I was a big Snot fan. He was like, "Oh shit, cool!" You know, like it was. It was cool. It was nice. Um, but yeah, we just really got on. Kept in touch with Wit the singer, and um, and then I heard on the grapevine that Sonny couldn't do a tour. They were doing a European tour, and uh, my friend was managing the. Well, still still does manage the band, and I and um, I heard that Sonny wasn't doing the tour. So just being a total chancer like I am. I, it was a European thing, so I just was, and it started in the UK, and I was just like, "I'll do it," and um, without really thinking it through, because there's some quite tasty guitar stuff in in there, and I'm not <laughs> the, the world's tastiest guitarist. I'm good at chords. I'm I'm a good rhythm guitar player, but I'm not um, I'm not uh, much of a lead guy, and um, and so yeah, I just kind of put my hand up and said, "I'll do it." And um, and Whit Crane being Whit Crane, the singer, was like, I love that. And um, uh, and so I ended up doing doing this tour with Ugly Kid Joe, which was mad because like like you know they're like American like surf surf dudes, you know, um, mm. everything's rad, uh, and they're all like cheekbones out here, and you know, they've all got like loads of hair and and just look fucking great, tanned and stuff. And then there was me stage left. And it was hilarious. Like we'd we'd get we'd like load load in at um, Nottingham Rock City or Glasgow Garage or, or or whatever, and they'd be like, "Hey, hey guys, how, how are you going? Whatever." And like, "Hey, hey man, hey, hey, hey man, hey, hey up!" <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and it was it was dead funny, but it was good. It was great and really good fun. And I mean, great players. Uh, I learned a lot about um, about a lot musically with with that band and also about drinking um because whit crane likes a pint <laughs> not in a bad way that's in a good in a good way <laughs> surprise me he's an american i mean <laughs> he's old school but he's you know but he he looks after himself and he looks after his voice he's got a great voice really underrated uh voice. i think i think ugly kid joe get sometimes and they know this, I think. They, they get kind of lumped in with something that isn't really them. Just just off the back of that, down, 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 everything like you. Yeah. Everything. What the fuck is it called? Everything about, about you. That song. Yeah. yeah. Um, which was which was a bit of a comedy thing, but it sort of ended up defining them. If you listen to the last album, there is some heavy groove-based stuff on there. Really good stuff. Uh, you know, to be honest, I only know that song by them. <laughs> that, that's it. Like, if you go in on um, the last album, it'll be on the Spotify's or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's um, there's some really, really good stuff on it. It's it's um, 
quite very they're they're all really into like Sabbath, Motorhead, um that sort of stuff. Um and I think that's a bigger part of what they do than than a lot of people, certainly I, than I realised. I remember doing the tour with them and, and going down and being like, Ugly good Joe, what's this? I remember being on the train, um, what's this gonna be like? And thinking, oh, it'll be fine, they're like surf dudes, whatever. And and like a couple of gigs in, I remember getting in touch with their manager, like I say, who's a friend of mine, and just being like, they, they, they're fucking brilliant. Great band. So I, I suppose we should talk about guitars for a bit. Yeah, oh, yes. Um, as when I messaged you, you went, oh, I love a bit of guitar geekery. Yes. So, so come on, then. Um, but what, are you, what are you playing currently? Well, What's your current rig? The, you see, there's. I think for any guitar player who does a lot of live stuff, depending on, I guess, depending on who you are, you know, if, if you're Slash. I remember touring with Slash. Oh, I'm just going to pick that name up. Sorry. There we go. Um, <laughs> I remember touring with Slash, and he's got a vault that's got like eight or ten pristine um, 70s Gibson Les Paul standards. Um, mm. You know, and it's. Like it's in a vault, and it's actually got a note on from his guitar tech Ace, who's a wonderful fella, that says <laughs> something like, "If your hand breaches the uh, perimeter of this case, I will break every bone in your body." L- lots of love, <laughs> and, it, and then it's got his like Marine Corps name or whatever, because he was in the army over there or whatever. Like, and you would not fuck with him. Um, so that you know, that's great if you've got security and you've got vaults and you've got all that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. But like, when half your gigging life is spent playing at the Hulladelphi, with no again, I, I love doing all that stuff. Um, I don't really want to be taking like my house guitars, not because not because I think that they're going to get nicked, but because like what you do is you you prop them up in the corner and you you know stuff mm. gets left behind and like things get it just like. There's certain guitars that you don't want having too much traffic if you can help it, especially if you're not loaded. Um, so I've got like my touring guitars, my, my main one being uh, for the last few years a Fender Telecaster, which I'm looking at lovingly now, uh, which is actually the Chris Schifflet model, the um, guy at the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like with most of my guitars, I'll modify them. In some way, uh, generally new pickups, new hardware, because those come off the peg like pretty good, and the pickups in them are pretty good. They're they're overwhelmed pickups, just in-house Fender stuff, um, but they're good. Uh, I got some pickups from a guy in Manchester called the Creamery. Do you know? Oh, Mark, Mark isn't Jamie, it? Jamie, his name is Jamie. Sorry, yes, and. Um, I was just blown away by these. I think they're called double six pickups. They're just just that little bit higher output, um, uh, just a little bit more grit, sort of in the low mids and probably, well, probably the high mids as well. Uh, it just really suits the kind of cut, the way I play chords, mm. um, uh, and it's ju- and it's just one of those guitars that's just really even all the way up the neck. I've, I've played a lot of like floating uh, bridge guitars for a long time. And so when I got that, it was like, wow, this stays in tune. <laughs> yeah. You know, the G string isn't always out of tune. <laughs> um, 
So I love that. And that's kind of, it's such a great workhorse. And I've got a split coil in it as well. So it's it's really versatile. Does so many different things. And if if you said to me now, can you come to my house to put a guitar part down on a track? And I didn't know what it was. I'd bring that guitar because it can do most things really, really well. Um, and it's white. And I do like white guitars. Um, yeah. I, I do think, although I do... Sometimes think I think red guitars sound better, but oh, I'm of not... the opinion that black guitars sound better. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, <laughs> so I've got the 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 Fender um, Telecaster Deluxe. I've also um, recently acquired from my friend Mad Gaz uh, a 1996 Gibson Les Paul Custom. I'd never owned a Les Paul because I'd never been able to afford it. And this one came up. It was the right price, and and um, and it was nice. And it turned out I've totally forgot this, but I'd said to him once, I've been at his house once, and um, been like, "Wow, if you ever sell that, give me first refusal." And then like twelve years later, he rung me up out the blue, going, "I'm selling that guitar. Do you want it?" And I was like, ah, "Yes." <laughs> um, I don't remember the conversation, but he'd sent a picture of it, and I was like, "A black Gibson Les Paul custom." Like, it's just the coolest guitar ever made. You, sh- I think, if you're into rock and roll, you at some point in your life you've got to own one of those. Mm. Um, it had this wacky Seymour Duncan pickup in the bridge because the other one, had, I don't know. Like I say, it belonged to my friend Mad Gaz. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he could have ate it or anything. Um, and. Um, and so I got my mate Lev runs a company called Toltec Pickups in here in Leeds, and I just said I, w- I want it to be like the best Les Paul bridge pickup you've ever, you know you ever heard, and he was like right okay, and so he made me this pickup and we put it in and it was a little bit a little bit underpowered and he was like okay and then he took it away and did some more things to it and it was like yes you've done it, um, so a big shout out to Lev at Toltec because he he. Um, it wasn't like I bought a humbucker off him. He built me a humbucker. And then when it wasn't perfect, he was like, let's keep doing it until we get it right, which I, th- I think is totally brilliant. Uh, and it sound- it just sounds amazing. And he also set it up, because when it arrived with me, the action was about a yard. Um, but it's <laughs> it's like, it's so nice now. And like, I just, when I got it home, it was like, I couldn't stop playing it. Just like it's set up in me downstairs in my front room, just like sitting there mm. for like sitting on the sofa, watching like world's wildest police videos and just like playing the pentatonic scale. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that. So that was like a little gift to myself about a year ago. Uh, and and then almost as if to spite me, uh, I've been looking for a really nice 335 as well for a, for a long time a long time um and just the, again the right one never came up and then i just bought this one off gaz uh mad gaz and um and then one came up on ebay in leeds um and i got in touch with the guy and i was like can can i come and see it and he said no cuz he was shielding he was asthmatic right um fair enough and then he got back to me again like 2 hours later and he was like look i, I know what it's like if you want a guitar, you want to buy a guitar, you want to play it. You don't want to just, you know, take a chance. And I went to his house. Honestly, I couldn't believe my eyes. 
so I, I went in. Uh, there's the guitar. I try it out, and I was like, just instantly like, yeah, I really like this. And I was like, well, <laughs> he's got this like room in which he had the nicest selection of guitars that I think I've ever seen in like a pr- private house sort of thing. Yeah, he had like a like there was a couple a couple one like sixty nine Fender Strat, one like seventy seven. Did he say Strat? And then a new one. That was like the top of the tree, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had the reason that he was selling this three three five was because basically he'd just bought these two new Les Pauls, a white one, seventy three Les Paul Custom, uh, that was white, and a seventy seven Les Paul Custom that was black. And I remember it because I was just like, and they looked like they'd never been played. Um, and I was like, if. Again, I thought of the Gaz thing, and I was like, if you ever decided to sell any of these guitars, and he went, I'll stop you there, I'm not doing. <laughs> I was like, fair enough. But basically, his wife had given him this ultimatum. If you're going to buy those two guitars, you have to sell. They were operating a one-in, one-out policy. Yeah, yeah. So I bought this 335 off him, and it's um, it's so nice. It's, one of the, it's a modern one. It's one of the new... Um, uh, high performance ones. Have you seen those? Mm. Um, so it's got just really good circuitry and uh, like it's got like a chrome nut and like tuners on the yeah bridge and all that stuff. Just so nice. And again, I've not had a chance to record much with it yet, but it just seems like a really like nice recording guitar. And again, like I don't think that can come out the house the Les Paul definitely can come out the house because it's already a bit bruised and battered in a, in a fun mm. way so that's that's really nice I've also got a couple of Hagstroms Hagstrom have been very very kind to me over the years and um, I've got a super Swede that I really love that, again the, the pickups were, the, the pickups that came with it were good um, and I believe now they're using the Lundgren pickups which are really good Um but I got I just got a couple of the creamery ones put in in that, and it's just like a good hard wearing Les Paul. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, and again it's white, so that's that's nice. Um, but I think Hagstrom <laughs> have like really like gone from strength to strength over the last sort of five or ten years, and they're so supportive. Mm. They're so like good to a lot of people that I know. That's what Ginger was saying on the last yeah. podcast. And, and he said he, he really likes the fact that when he travels abroad and needs a spare, they're all the same. Yeah. Whereas you can't guarantee that with Les Pauls. As much as I love them, you can't. Of course. And we, we used to do that with the sisters. We'd go, we'd do a festival somewhere. And we had one of those, you know, the Scott Dixon three guitar cases? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had one of those um, that held three guitars. But there's two guitar players. So we need two for him and two for him. Mm. And... And it was always me that drew the short straw, which was fine because I'll play anything. Uh, and Ben was playing strats and it's whammy bar and all that. So fair enough. So we would spec, you know, a reasonable Les Paul or similar um, for my for my spare because they don't have a lot of Ibanez Ice Men in Estonia or, no. or like later on the the tel- like the humbucker tellies or whatever. So just to be safe, we'd get a Les Paul. And like some of the stuff that turned up, was just like 
what is this? I remember one time in Japan, actually, with Ginger, getting a Gibson Les Paul. Is it a traditional? Yeah. And let me just look it up. The traditionals are what used to be the standards. But then they started weight relieving the standards. So the traditionals were the unweight relieved standards. Right. No, it's not that. Gibson Les Paul. Was it the tribute? No, no, but I was going to come on to this because the this this um the one that I got in Japan, it was like really ornate seventies. It had loads of circuitry. You could flip coils, split coils. Oh, the Paul. Yes, it was. That was it. It was the the Paul. Um, and I'm sure it was really really nice, but it was just utterly unsuited to what we were doing. Fortunately, I didn't need it because it was it was just a spare. Um. But when I looked them up, God, they're expensive. Um, and then I did another gig with the sisters where I got a, a tribute and it was beautiful and it sounded amazing and it played great and it looked great. And again, I looked it up, being a geek, and they were like about 800 quid. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow. So I was looking them up for a while, but then I got me custom and it was like, no, I don't, I don't need one now. No. No. So what? So what amps are you playing through? Um, the first by complete accident. Of course, I went through the whole thing of like my first, my first amp, my first proper amp was. Um, well, I played bass before I played guitar, and so I had a, a fifteen watt Park Son of Marshall um, <laughs> uh, bass amp. It might have been thirty watt. Um, it's great, you know. And um, but then when I started playing guitar, I went through you know I had a Gorilla or whatever it was, but my first sort of inverted commas proper amp was uh, like a lot of people my age, and I've had this conversation a couple of times lately. Was a Marshall valve state, totally brilliant, mm. you know, for what they were, and um, and so I, I think I think just by dint of the kind of music that I liked and the kind of bands that I saw at gigs and festivals and on telly. I was always just going to be in um, sort of Marshall stuff. Cut forward to buying like my first proper Marshall, first proper head. Um, By complete coincidence, there was one in the back of the free ads that was 300 quid. And it was like Marshall valve head, whatever. And um, I went and played through. It was like, this is great. And at the time, I totally didn't realize how great it was. It was a Marshall 30th anniversary, uh, 6100. Um, and so I bought it, and like th- that was that would have been twenty years ago. I've still got it, uh, and it's absolutely fucking phenomenal amp. Um, I don't know if you've come across them, but they're they're the three channel um, thing. The clean channel is like basically the only good clean sound Marshall I've ever done. Um, <laughs> channel two is like a great kind of crunch sort of sound, and then three is more like you know, like it's like an eight hundred. And then channel three is like yeah. a 900 plus, you know, like a 900 SLX yeah. or something. And they're so great. And, and I absolutely loved them to the point where it was it was just like, I had that one for years. Like, like I said, I've still got it. And I just started buying them if I saw them. And they would come up for like 300 quid. Um, and it got to the point where I had, I had, did I have three heads or four? I had three heads. And then two of the combos. Um, 
Because I, I, if I saw one, I would just have to buy it. Because I, I believe in having a spare, and then I believe in having a spare spare and all that. And it gets a bit ridiculous after a while. Um, so I've started shifting them now. But um, they're yeah, they're top, top amps. But the problem was they started breaking. And they started breaking because we would take them all out with the sisters. Because I provided all, all the sisters' backline was my stuff. Um, for both me and Ben. And... Um, the, the, the brilliant and stupid thing with valve amps is that the most important component in them is made out of glass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which which is fine if you're in your bedroom. But, um, but like, I'd have, you know, five amps in the back of a truck rolling through Poland, you know, the, the B roads of Poland, or, or even in the UK, you know, and they're getting bounced about. And, um, and we were just, we went on one tour. So we had those, and we had a couple of Black Stars as well. That are really great, and um, all of them broke on this one tour at different times. All of them broke. Um, the valves went. Something was jogged out. Something you know you, you had to yeah. reseat everything, and, and it was a nightmare. And it was sort of at the start of we, we'd heard about the Kemper, and mm. um, I was a bit like I've I've always or rather I used to always see some of that stuff as like sort of snake oil. Again, we've all tried out the pods and the um, all the modelling stuff and plugins and all that. And you know, I'm always kind of like, mm, I'm pretty sure you can tell. We got we were playing in Hamburg where the Kemper people were based, and the guy came down to show us when we plugged it in, in just straight in me four by twelve, and I was like. Uh, like within ten seconds, I was like, "I'm sold. This is brilliant." Um, yeah, it was the profiled some of um, Ace from Skunkadancy's amps, some a Cornford, and it was just like that's the best guitar sound I've ever heard. Um, and then, so I bought one, and it's just touch wood, never, never fails. I think they work really well if they go through a guitar amp, like I, cab. I think when I when I've heard it played through speakers like monitors speakers, it just doesn't shift enough air for me. But if you're actually playing it through a proper cab, what I found I still don't think I've got the best out of it in terms of deiring, mm. um, in terms of um, for for recording purposes. Uh, but we me. And a mate, well, a couple of mates of mine went to a friend of our studio, and we profiled a couple of my amps. Well, all of my amps, and then like ten amps that were in the studio, like all like wild, weird, and wacky stuff, like Selma treble and bass, and a really nice um, nine hundred SLX and dual rectifier and like just some like weird little fender thing what was there it was like there was a fender twin there was a fender blues deluxe which i really like and um but particularly because i i knew my 6100 30th anniversary because i knew it so well we profiled it and just with a 57 um on the on the cone and it and it just and and, and then and particularly, there was one guy at the studio that was like, nah, bollocks. I don't, you know, needs valves, needs all that, whatever. And 
then we, we got him back in and we A-B'd it and you couldn't tell. Mm. You, ju- you just could not tell. Like you say, that was through a 4 by 12 um, and it was... It was astonishing. DI it, you can tell, I think. But I, I know yeah. I've got friends that say the opposite, where their experience is that for DI and stuff, it's amazing. I do think that it's... I think it's it's a lot better than like your pods and, and stuff like that. Um but for me the 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 live thing it's been absolutely invaluable because it just doesn't break. I get the whole point for touring but I mean, you know, you think of like like mentioned Metallica earlier, you think about them going on tour because I know they use Kempers as well. Mm. That you know, that huge amount of backline that they have to roll around the states or Europe or whatever is it's like a truck full yeah, and then and then all of a sudden you could rock up at any venue and go. All we want are some cabs hired in, and here's my head, and I don't even have to have the head. Yeah, like, here's my USB, USB stick, yeah. and you know, and it just makes life so much easier for yeah. everyone involved, really, doesn't it? And well, you know, when you're at the gig, you can't tell. Well, if this you're is in the audience. This is it. In a gig situation, especially like you say, when you're going through a four by twelve or you know some some sort of cab. Um, maybe there are anomalies that make you go, all right, maybe maybe it's 95% as good. But through, you know, the Kemper into the 4B12, through the SM57 and the Sennheiser 421, and then whatever preamps they've got, whatever shit cables they've got at the venue, all you're carrying through the speakers. Like, you know... I say it all the time, but like, no one's going to write in. <laughs> no one's going to be like that. Hmm. <laughs> I think that guitar sound was 3% better uh, when I saw them last time when they were using the amplifier. Because, you know, people aren't there to, well, people, some people like are there to discuss that. But, you know, it it's, it's the most straightforward way of doing things nowadays. And I know bands that just won't do it. Um I toured with Iron Maiden and they, they have they have all the backline behind the stage. And it's it's an absolute it's brilliant because it's just a brilliant cacophony of like stuff that's in boxes <laughs> and stuff that's just facing away. And I saw I remember seeing Alice in Chains at a festival not so long ago and Jerry Cantrell, a, a band that I'm not massively fond of. You know, they're great and everything, but again not something I'd listen to at home. But Jerry Cantrell, how he gets his sound, which is absolutely amazing, is that he has a cab pointing off the stage, but it's at like the fullest of full volumes, and then they've turned yeah. it up again, uh, and it just sounds absolutely amazing. And that's you know that's a valve, whatever it is, and and it's just different strokes for different folks, really. I've just got one sort of like observation of listening to Eureka Machines and your solo stuff. Mm. Have you ever worked with Willie Dowling? Yeah, I think yeah, it would yeah. Work really well. I love Willie Dowling. Um, I first encountered Willie Dowling with, again with Ginger in like two thousand and five, four, six, um, on an acoustic tour. And I, I'd been a Honeycrack fan when I was a kid. You know, like I, I loved Honeycrack. Um, that that one album. I remember seeing them. Um, at the Phoenix Festival in 1990, could have been five, could have been six. 
And, you know, I was a spotty little Herbert. Um, just starting writing songs and, you know, I'd not mm. been playing guitar long. But, and, and seeing Honeycrack, and it was like, this is the kind of thing that I want to do. It fucking rocks. A bit like the Wild Arts. It rocks, but it's got tunes and it's got like harmony. I love harmonies. Um, mm. But it's got big guitars and like noisy drums and it's fucking... And, um, but particularly there was a song called uh, Animals that, uh, yes. that Honeycrack did. And I was like, wow, that is... You know, I was a big fan of Oasis. I was a big, I was a Britpop kid. Um, still am. I love that stuff. Still, probably the best guitar sound I've ever heard was Oasis uh, in at Whitley by Ice Arena, Marshall Bluesbreaker, and an orange stack of some sort. And it was just like fucking brilliant. Anyway, um, but they played this song "Animals," and I was like, "That's next level." This like the kind of four chord stuff that I've been listening to and writing. Was like mm. that's not going to cut it anymore. This is forward thinking and esoteric and exciting and a bit proggy. Before I knew what prog was, and it's not at all proggy, but you know what I'm saying. There's, there was a lot more thought behind it. And then um, our paths crossed a few years later, and we just again we just hit it off and um, stayed in touch. And I, I ended up I was going to play bass for. Um, Jack Door 4 at one point, his band after Honeycrack. And then I ended up playing guitar for him because he'd had a, some kind of, I don't know if it was a fallout or what, but with the guitar, the guy who played guitar for him. So I ended up playing guitar for, for them. And we ended up finishing the set with Animals. And it was like, mm. this is fucking great. <laughs> like, I, like, and it was a real moment where I was, I remember being like at the back of this tent watching them playing it at the Phoenix Festival. Yeah. And, and now like I'm playing it and like, He's there, look. He's there, little Willie. And, um, yeah, and we've done a few gigs together and a few bits here and there. And I do really, really love Willie. He's a, he's a really brilliant human being. Um, really so bright and musically just astounding. Um, he can play everything. He, he's just got such a great ear. Um, he, he just used to really make me laugh. I found him up years ago. So I used to run... So I run this event called the Guitar Show now. Yeah. But I used to run this big event that was at the NEC um, until I got made redundant, like twelve years ago, something like that. Right. So it, it was called Music Live. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and um, so I, every year I always used to book someone that I wanted to book. I was like really good. I'd be given this budget, right? Right. There you go, Jason. There's ten grand. Fill the live stage. You know, for three days. Yeah. Um. And and I and because it was a general music, you know, I'd go, well, I need a blues guitarist, but yeah. I need something a bit country, I need rock, blah, blah, blah. But every year I just picked one that I really wanted. And I, I got Willie's phone number and I phoned him up and explained about the event to him, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'd really like to book you. I've got 600 quid. And he was like, my dear boy, I'll suck your cock for 600 quid. <laughs> Consider me I can, hear him, I can hear him say it. <laughs> Oh, I love him so much. I, I, it reminds me, I need to catch up with him. We've been saying to catch up for about a year and just haven't done. Have you heard any yeah, of his stuff with John Paul, the Dowling Paul? Yeah, I mean, I've been a fan since I saw the... This is how old I am. You can say since the grip. I saw the grip. Yeah. Well, we, funnily enough, when I, was, when I was a kid, we used to rehearse at this rehearsal room in Hull, which is where I'm originally from. And uh, 
the guy in there, Stu Forrester, he 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 ran the practice rooms. It was ten pound for six hours, and I'll never I'll, ne- I'll never forget when it went up to twelve pound. We were like, oh, don't know if we're going to rehearse there anymore. Um, and uh, and he uh, he was in a, in a hull band called Rich Rags, and mm, I remember them. Yeah, and and so he like when we were like listening to television or. Um, you know, we'd we'd come in like with a yeah, with a television T-shirt on, or like an Almighty T-shirt, or something like that. One of the lads was really into the Almighty. Like, um, he was like, "You should listen to this band. They're called the Grip." And he gave me a a cassette that I've still probably got somewhere that had and that had Vera Daydream on it, which was another one where years later, um, me and Willie did these acoustic gigs at the Twelve Bar in London, where we did like ten of his songs and ten of mine, and and we found and uh, there we were playing. Vera Daydream and you know the, that grip stuff. It's great, man. It's great. Oh, I I loved the grip. Then you know Honey Crack. Then it was Sugar Plum Fairies. Yeah, it's a great record. It's a great record. I've got the live album as well that I think was a like web only. Sort right. Of, I think it's got a, like a like I bought it and it comes with like a photocopied sleeve sort of thing. You know, I think it was sort of like before Bandcamp or anything they kind of mm-hmm. got going. It was just kind of you know it was just a CDR basically. Yeah. Um, yeah and then of course it was a three or four Jack Doll four albums. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And now with um, John, it's just yeah. uh, just like I just think the bloke's a genius. Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. I remember. Um, just, yeah, just like he's just a very fucking knowledgeable guy about a lot of things as well, politically. Um, like, he just like, you know, I remember going to Willie's place in France. Do you know he lives in France now? Um, yeah. And uh, he was telling me how, like, his whole plan, this was in like 2012, 13, maybe. And his whole plan was to become completely self-sufficient by 2017, because he was convinced. What the good life? Basically, yeah. Him and, his, <laughs> him and his wife Monica were were going to be Penelope Keith and ah, uh, who who was it? Wasn't Penelope Keith? Was Penelope it? Keith was the next door neighbour. Yeah, yeah, and Richard Briers and Penelope, sorry, Felicity Kendall and Richard Briers. That's right. Um. But yeah, and his whole his whole plan was to become self sufficient because he he was sure that um, money was going to collapse by twenty seventeen, um, and he was like, right, when that happens, it's basically going to be, you know, Lord of the Flies. So um, he had like his potato crop and his carrot crop and his all his fruit and veg, <laughs> and then he went fishing um, and like he you know just like how many people would bother to do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he is. He is a bit of a genius. Oh well, if you speak to him, say hello from me. Yeah, I will do. I will do. It's reminded me. I really should give him a, a buzz. Right, we should probably wrap it up then. Okay. Thank mate. you well, so much for doing this. Thank it's you so much. A, I'm, an really sorry. I'm really, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry again to have been to have been so late. But um, oh yeah, like I said, <laughs> it's all right. Hoist Rock star time. Tard. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> Yeah, I, actually, actually, if anything, if anything, I was a bit fucking early. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. 
If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9to42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at The Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.